From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Well, the boss said to go out and do some man-on-the-street interviews, and I'll be jiggered if there ain't a soul on the street. I'd best not go back empty-handed. Hey, I wonder what the story is on this old boarded-up house. It's been like that for as long as I can remember. It's getting overgrown with weeds and saplings. Last year the front entryway collapsed and the year before that the roof on the back porch gave way. Hey, old house. I wonder if you could take a minute to talk with a reporter from around the world on WSHDLP Esport. Just tell me a little bit about yourself. I might not look like much now, but back in my day, my windows were sparkling with life. I couldn't count the carriages that pulled up to my back door and all the gossip that went in and out. I was warm and cozy inside. I had a clean coat of paint and I was proud and upstanding. I was an important house. All visiting dignitaries had to pass through me. Well, old house, let's listen to some 78s that were left behind in your old living room. Speaking of doors and windows, here's Tony Martin with David Rose and his orchestra with Under Your 1942 Window. My heart can do 
featuring Harmy Smith and the 1946 Southern Swingsters. And we started with Under Your 1942 Window. 
That was Tony Martin with David Rose and his orchestra. We're conducting an interview with an old abandoned house here on Pleasant Street. Hey, old timer, how far back do you go? They built me to house the family running the stagecoach. We had a livery barn in the back for the horses. But that's long gone. Long gone. Okay, well, as luck would have it, here in your pile of old 78s that were left behind, original Dixieland Jazz Band from 1917 with Livery Stable Blues.
Welcome back to the interview we are conducting with that old abandoned house on uh, Pleasant Street. We've been listening to some of the old 78 RPM records left behind, and we just heard Tin Roof Blues from 1938, which featured Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra with the New Orleans Rhythm Kings. Before that, we heard the 1917 original Dixieland jazz band with Livery Stable Blues, in honor of the livery stable that used to be behind the house when it was used as a stagecoach stopping point. Do you have any memories of the town here you'd like to share with our listening audience? Well, let's see, I remember when they put in the cement sidewalk. For my first 40 years or so, it was just a dirt path. That was a big deal when they came around with real cement. Of course, the cement eventually cracked and crumbled, and, and now it's layer upon layer of asphalt. Interesting. Well, we just happened to have Jelly Roll Morton with his Red Hot Peppers playing the 1926 Sidewalk Blues. Hey, get out out of the way. What are you trying to do? Knock the streetcar off the tracks. You're so dumb, you should be the president of the Deaf and Dumb Society. I'm sorry, boss, but I got the Sidewalk Blues. Thank you. 
man was watching a man paint a fence while waiting for you. You and I had a day, and was I feeling great? You were late, so I waited for you. I was watching a man paint a fence. He painted it blue. Just as blue as the skies, like the blue in your eyes, but the blue made me bluer than blue. I was getting so fidgety, widgety, fidgety, widgety, woo, and nervous as could be. I was getting so wickety, wackety, wickety, wacky, too. I thought you had deserted me. I was watching a man paint a fence. And then I spied you. So I picked up his brush with a quick hurried rush, and I painted the words I love you. Wayne Gregg with Clyde McCoy and his orchestra with the 1940 I Was Watching a Man Paint a Fence. This was preceded by the 1926 Sidewalk Blues, Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World and we are conducting an interview with one of the old abandoned houses here in town. So, old house, you were built as a terminus for the stagecoach. Tell us more about your life before ultimately being abandoned. When people started driving cars, the stagecoach went out of business, and I was sold to a supervisor at one of them fish canneries. Back in them days, the whole town smelt like kippered snacks. I was filled with young kids screaming and running around. My favorite memory was the daughter. When she was a teenager, her boyfriend would come around at night and they would whisper to each other through the window. It was kind of a Romeo and Juliet situation. Okay, how about this Larry Douglas with Peggy Marshall and the Holidays with the assistance of Ernie Evan Orchestra, Window Wishing.
for a flag? Do you shop for a pedigree pup and keep an alley cat? Did you ever go window wishing? Well, darling, so have I. My heart goes window wishing each time that you pass by. Did you ever go window wishing without a dime to spare? Are you still reminiscing, though she no longer cares? Do you keep wanting things? You
We heard window wishing. Larry Douglas with Peggy Marshall and the Holidays with the assistance of the Ernie Evan Orchestra, followed by the 1953 Backdoor Blues, sung by Jimmy Witherspoon. We're talking this hour with a boarded-up house down the street, and um, it's interesting to learn about your heyday, old house. Before the canneries closed, I was well cared for. If my roof leaked, it was fixed right away. The windows were always sparkling clean, and I sat up here on the hill like I was wearing a tuxedo. Well, with a good strong roof in mind, let's listen next to the 1936 Six Blue Chips with Steel Roof. Oh, baby, 
baby, please. Oh, hold the door. Come on, Clarice, open the door. Unlock the door. Open the door, baby. Baby, please open that door. Baby, be nice, baby. Open the door. If you open the door, baby, I won't stay out late no more. I had a plenty money. My friends all let me down. Now I ain't got no money Only you could be found Open the door, baby Come on, baby, open the door Baby, you know I love you Baby, please Open the door Come on, baby, I got a present for you I want to see you, just unlock the door If you open that door, baby I won't stay out a little more Please, baby You know I love you, darling I love you all for myself Now you done left me For somebody else Open the door, baby Come on, Clary oh, Come on, open the door, baby Baby, please open the door. Baby, it's cold out here. Just open the door. Unlock the door. If you open that door, baby, I won't stay out there no more. All right, darling. You can come in now. On the window pane Have brought a pain to my heart In spite of everything You mean to me It seems that we Must pass Sweetheart I see the shadows On the window That means there's someone else with you Those shadows on the window are making me blue I hate to think that you're unfaithful but now there's nothing else to do those shadows on the window they tell me it's true dear I seem to trace a tender embrace Kisses that end with a sigh That silhouette I'll never forget Why did I ever pass by, sweetheart? Although you know that I'll forgive you Because I'm still in love with you those shadows on the window 
They tell me we're through. seem to trace a tender embrace, kisses that end with a sigh, that silhouette I'll never forget, why did I ever pass by, sweetheart, although you know that I'll forgive you, because I'm still in love with you. Those shadows on the window, they tell me we're through. That was a young Bing Crosby from 1932, Shadows on the Window. Before that, Van Walls and the 1952 Rockets begged us to open the door, and the Habitation Triumvirate touched off with a 1936 steel roof provided by the six blue chips. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World, and we are conducting an exclusive interview with one of the old abandoned houses here in town. Now, who owns you, old house? How did you happen to go to rack and ruin like this? Some damn fool who lives far away and never sets foot around here. They got me dirt cheap. They thought they'd retire in me. But once my roof got holes, it was it was all over. Now my floor has rotted and collapsed. I'd make a good shelter for someone. But it's a partnership. Somebody has to take care of me. I can't patch my own roof. Good point, old house. And speaking of which, here is Wilmouth Houdini and his Royal Calypso Orchestra from 1945. Mr. The Wolf's at Your Door. Mr. The Wolves at your door, Mr. The Wolves at your door, oh Mr. The Wolves at your door, please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. Mr. The Wolves at your door, Mr. The Wolves at your door, oh Mr. The Wolves at your door, please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. What is to become of matrimony? In this great land of liberty, what must married men do or say? Now the curfew is here to stay. Oh, mister, the world at your door. Mister, the world at your door. Oh, mister, the world at your door. Please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. Men would be taking an awful chance. Letting their loved ones go to a dance So I am telling them candidly Be with their women folks constantly Oh, mister, the wolves at your door Mister, the wolves at your door Oh, mister, the wolves at your door Please don't let your girlfriend out 
the wolves at your door, please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. When she's in the kitchen fixing your meals, be sure you are at her heels. Or oh, her screaming voice you may hear When you run to her rescue she'll disappear Oh, mister, the wolf at your door Oh, mister, the wolf at your door Oh, mister, the wolf at your door Please don't let your girlfriend out anymore It could be Tom, Dick, or Harry All super wolves look alike to me Husbands and boyfriends take my advice and I can say bodyguard day and night. Oh, mister, the world's at your door. Oh, mister, the world's at your door. Oh, mister, the world's at your door. Please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. Listen to me attentively. You sign the bondage of slavery. But hear what Houdini said. The wolves are out to snatch girls away. Oh, mister. The wolves at your door, mister, the wolves at your door, oh, mister, the wolves at your door, please don't let your girlfriend out anymore. We've just heard two 1945 recordings. Mr. The Wolf's at Your Door, Wilmouth Houdini and his Royal Calypso Orchestra, 
followed by Bob Mosley with Door Blow Boogie. And speaking of blowing, the wind around here is no joke. My siding has started to blow off. I don't like having my tar paper exposed. I feel like I'm standing here in my underwear for all to see. Which brings us to the 1930 Tar Paper Stomp. Here is Winchy Manone and his orchestra. Thank you. 
Count Basie and his 1937 orchestra with Out the Window. This was ushered in by Winji Manone and his orchestra with the 1930 Tar Paper Stomp. We're talking this hour with that old abandoned house from around the corner. Why, I remember the workers who came with shovels and wheelbarrows full of rocks to dig and lay my beginnings. Now soon I will collapse back into my own foundation and my grounds will go back to being woods. And speaking of cellars, let's see how low we can go with the 1913 Wilfred Glen, down deep within the cellar. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now, I just have time to type up the report of our interview at the old abandoned house. I need to have this on the boss's desk first thing in the morning. We just heard Duke Ellington and his famous 1939 orchestra, and they were tooting through the roof. And when the roof leaks like that, a house will rot from the inside out and wind up down deep within the cellar with Wilfred Glenn from 1913. And this concludes the musical portion of Round the World today. We set out to conduct man-on-the-street interviews and finding the streets deserted, sat down to talk to that old abandoned house around the corner that's been sitting there since anyone can remember. That house doesn't look like much, but that was a magnificent, important house in its youth. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Thanks for joining us today. Now, in honor of our old abandoned house, let's hear two radio suspense dramas. One about a door, and one about a window. Here is a 1947 episode of The Whistler, entitled The Back Door. So let's listen. The Whistler.
That whistle is your signal for the whistler. I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now the Whistler's strange story. The Back Door. It had been a sensational trial, also a very strange one. If the men in the press room agreed on nothing else, they were unanimous in the opinion that the case of the people versus Edward Crane was the most amazing courtroom drama Hartley County had ever seen. The mere fact that now, after 51 days in court, after 16 hours of waiting for the jury to bring in the verdict, these men in the press room were still fascinated, still discussing the pros and cons. That was testimony enough. Okay, okay, but I tell you, Ward, I got a feeling. Yeah, what? Edward Crane's gonna lose this case. Good, we'll make yourself some dough. You're betting eight to five, he gets himself acquitted. I know my hunch sounds crazy, but the whole thing was crazy from the first. Edward Crane, the biggest criminal lawyer in the business, hooked on a murder charge. And on top of that, acting as his own defense. Yeah, that part don't make sense, does it? Nah, it never did. No, but that doesn't mean they'll convict him. Plenty of guys who work in the street today only because Crane pulled a rabbit out of the hat at the right time. There weren't any rabbits in this one, Ward. Funny. But it almost looked as if the guy weren't trying. As if he wanted to be convicted. Yes, it had been a strange one. This story that was coming to its climax after 51 days in the courtroom. And although the reporters, remembering Edward Crane's past triumphs, had freely predicted surprising developments, not one of them could guess even a fraction of the truth. The truth was that on that October night, some weeks before the opening of the trial, Edward Crane had walked into his wife's attic studio with a plan, a plan that had to be tried on for size. Good evening, Ruth. Well, now, don't bother me, Edward. I'm very busy. I want to now... talk to you. Now, just a minute, Edward. You know very well that my I studio... said I wanted to talk to you, Ruth. All right. What is it? Perhaps we'd better sit down. Perhaps we'd better not. I have a painting to finish, dear, and I see by the woebegone expression that I've come to know so well during the past few months that you're about to ask me again to consider a divorce. Now, just a minute, Ruth. So I'll save us both a lot of time by giving you the usual answer. No. That's not quite all of it this time, Ruth. Oh? I... I don't believe I've made it clear why I want a divorce. Must we go into that? You see, I think I know that vanity of yours, Ruth. And I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to see it hurt. Go on. I'm hanging on every word. Ruth, I'm in love with another woman. Oh, for heaven's sake, Edward, that... What? What do you mean? If you're going to tell me about Louise Salander, forget it. You, you know about it? <laughs> of course, darling. Don't be a little boy. 
How could you expect to keep a thing like that quiet in a town like this? But I, I thought Shall I... Shall I give you a case history? You met her last June at the Jenkins trial. Took her out for the first time on the 8th of July to the shadows over in Brookridge. Out of town, of course, but not quite far enough. Since then, you've been meeting her at least once a week at Leonardi's on uh, conference nights. How long have you known about this? Almost as long as you have? Why? Why, I don't know. I, I... Well, then, let's drop it, hmm? Now, I've been a good girl and listened to you, dear. Suppose you run downstairs to your evening paper and let me work. Why are you doing this, Ruth? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Louise. She's young and pretty. There's a happy life ahead of her with someone. Maybe I just don't want to see her make a mistake. And you are a mistake, Edward, a frightful mistake. Thank you. Nothing at all. Ruth. Hmm? Do you still want to take that trip? To Canada? Yes. Certainly. I've been telling you for ages how I've wanted to do some landscapes. Yes, but I didn't want you to go until I had a chance to discuss this thing with you. Now that we understand one another... Of course. Now you'll be happy to see me leave. Exactly. I'll be gone for seven or eight months, you know. I know. Hiding out at Renee's Lodge in Manitoba for three months, and then west to lose yourself in the glories of the Canadian Rockies. You've been reading my mind. I know you pretty well, Ruth. Perhaps. But you know Louise as well, Edward. She's apt to change her mind. Take away the secret meetings and the glamorous restaurants, and you're just as monotonous as the next one. You know, maybe I ought to visit Louise. You'll do nothing of the kind. Well, it was just a thought. When? When can you be ready to leave on your trip? Tomorrow night. All right. But there's one thing I insist on. You must tell no one that you're leaving. What? Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Why, I'll have to cancel all my appointments. I'm addressing the art I'm center. sorry, but I have a very good reason for insisting. Well, that's very strange. Why? Well, well, I'm afraid people might misinterpret the reason for your going. They know we aren't getting along too well. And there's your precious reputation. Very well, Edward. Now do run downstairs and let me finish my work. Yes, Edward, you tried the plan for size, and it fits. And somehow you're relieved. Your experience as a trial lawyer has made you a master at talking of one thing and thinking of another. And at the moment you were proposing Ruth's trip to Canada, your mind was on something else. Somewhere in the huge, imposing edifice known as criminal law. Big and terrifying from the front. But with back doors here and there open to escape. One back door, one loophole in particular that will allow you to murder your wife and go free. On the night after Ruth leaves for Canada, you decide it's time to call Louise to set her mind at rest. I can't help it, Edward. I love you so. We simply have to be patient, dear. It isn't easy. You know that. Of course. But I'm going to take care of it, Louise. Just trust me, that's all. No matter what happens. Oh, I do trust you. But I don't understand, Edward. I Now, please, don't worry anymore, Louise. Just leave everything to me.
So you've made up your mind, Edward, and murder is the only answer. A new kind of murder, of course. An ingenious, audacious variety that can't fail because it assumes at the outset that there'll be an arrest, a trial, that the law will run its course. Yes, Edward. You know that when the time comes, that back door will be open behind you. That secret back door to freedom and a new life with the woman you love. You begin the next morning with a call to the neighborhood plumber, a curious, gossipy little man named Potter. You purposely seem nervous now, a little wild-eyed as you go to the front door a few minutes later to admit him. Oh, oh, yes, Mr. Potter. Uh, right this way, please. You say you smell gas. Huh? I just noticed it this morning. Where are we going? Well, the uh, kitchen. No, no, no. Better take a look at the basement first. The basement? Well, sure. Why not? No, 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 not the basement. Uh, I think it's in the kitchen. Oh, well, okay. We'll check it after I look at the pipes downstairs. I tell you, I... What's happened to you, anyway? Oh, nothing. It's nothing at all. You look so pale. You're all covered with ashes. Oh, I, I... I was down at the furnace, uh, burning some old rubbish. <laughs> Looks like you were inside it. I needed a little cleaning. Yeah, I... How come? Your wife just had me cleaned a week ago. Oh, see, by the way, Mr. Green, uh, where is the missus? Oh, well, she... Mrs. Crane is off on a long trip. She left the other night. Oh. Well, are we going downstairs now? No, I'd rather not. Might be uh, dangerous, Mr. Crane. I said we're not going into the cellar. Is that clear? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Come on. I'll look at the kitchen stove. Hello? Louise? Oh, Edward. I'm sorry I didn't see you yesterday, darling. I'd like to make it up to you tonight. Oh, really, Edward? Do you think we should, the way things are? People are starting to talk. Oh, I'd give anything if we could be together forever, darling. But now I... Well, I don't want to embarrass you. Oh, that's just the point. Let them talk. I'm tired of dodging the issue, meeting you in back alleys and out-of-town restaurants. It's high time we brought it out in the open. But, darling... I mean it. We're not going to Brookridge tonight, Louise. We're having dinner right downtown at Pierre's. I'll pick you up at 7. Now, listen, darling... Now, that's I... all there is to it now, Louise. I insist. All right, Edward. Seven o'clock. Oh, what's the matter, darling? I don't know. You haven't touched your steak. I guess I'm not hungry. <laughs> Is that the only reason? Look at them, Edward. Staring at us like a flock of vultures. Oh, no, it's your imagination. Oh, I wish it were. I know what they're saying. It'll be all over town tomorrow. So what? Maybe a little gossip will convince Ruth that Edward, she... huh? please. I don't want to talk about Ruth. I don't want to hear her name again, ever. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Louise. So am I. Come on, now, let's go. But, Louise... Don't you see, darling? I can't stand this another minute. I'm sorry, Edward. All right, Louise. Let's go. You wish you could tell Louise how it's going to be, Edward. But you know you must be practical. There's only one time for that, after it's over. After the hue and the cry and the drama of the trial and the retreat through the back door. So you take her arm now as the two of you leave the restaurant. 
Note with satisfaction the smug faces, the staring eyes, the heads together over tables in the far corners of the room. You don't have to hear to know what they're saying. It's moving now, Edward. A last glance at Henry, the bartender, tells you that even he's part of it, too. There, 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 that's him now. Sam Potter says Crane there has a case of jitters that make New Year's morning look like a sarsaparilla hangover. Oh? Well, maybe there's another reason. Look, Crane had been down in the cellar fussing with the furnace. Wait a minute, Bill. You mean that... Oh, I don't know. Maybe his wife is away on a trip. Who knows? Did you see them, Richard, sneaking out? They know they've attracted attention. Hmm? Oh, forget it, Myra. I've seen Crane around the city hall. He seems to be all right. He's all right. Seems to be running around with another woman. And where's his wife? How do you know that oh, he hasn't... Oh, stop how... dreaming, Myra, and eat your soup. It's building solidly, isn't it, Edward? With each passing day, you can almost feel the wall of criticism and suspicion rising around you, closing in, almost hear the words of your accusers, like the people at the art center. I can't understand Ruth Crane going away without telling us. She promised to conduct a special lecture on landscapes. Do you suppose that something's happened to her? Happened? Like what? Oh, I I, uh, don't know, but she's always been so reliable. So punctual with her appointment. It makes one wonder. Sam? Any noise bothering you, Miss Harris? Oh, no. I always expect that when I call the plumber. Uh, Sam, I came down to ask you about Mrs. Crane. Oh? I've been making a dress for her, and she was coming in for the second sitting, and I haven't heard a word. Um... I don't figure she'll ever be in, Mrs. Harris. What? A couple of weeks ago, I was over at the Crane place. Talked to Mr. Crane. She wasn't home? Well, I didn't talk to her. Let's put it that way. I don't understand you, Sam. I had to have a look at the furnace during the call. Mr. Crane acted awful peculiar about it. For what reason? Well, when I tell you, you'll probably say I ought to stick to my plumbing, Mrs. Harris. But I think Mrs. Crane is in that house right now. You do? Only she... She's dead. <gasps> She's buried in the cellar someplace. Do you really believe that? <laughs> I certainly do. Well, then there should be an investigation, a police investigation. Sam, I'm going to see about it right away. Yes, Edward, the tongues are wagging all over town. But you're far from the usual frightened suspects as you learn about it. Watch the snowball begin to roll. It's exactly as you figured it, isn't it, Edward? First, the mutterings ripening into suspicion. The two thriving weeks of suspicion finally materializing into something more concrete. Well, Louise, come in, darling. Oh, Edward, it's terrible. The whole town's against us. <laughs> against us, Louise? But just being together, I guess, for being in love. Edward, there's a man on his way here from the district attorney's office. Really? They... They don't believe Ruth went away. Now, there's nothing to be afraid of. 
It doesn't matter what they think. But what will you tell them? The truth. Edmund. Now, Louise, stop worrying. Oh, Edward. Darling. Edward, did someone... I told you not to worry. It's all right. You'd better answer, Edward. Yes, of course. Mr. Crane, this is an official call. I was sent over to have a look around. What's it all about? I'm sorry, I can't discuss it with you. Here. Your handkerchief? Yeah, you better use it. The lady's lipstick is all over your face. Now, see here, Bennett, you can't come busting in Skip here. Skip it, I've got a warrant. I'd like to have a look in your cellar. What are you talking about? There's no... I'll decide that, Crane. Come on, let's go down there. Painter smart. Your wife? Yes. You see, uh, I cleaned up her studio just after she went away. Afterwards, I burned the rubbish in here. Uh-huh. Hmm. What about this crane? Is this some rubbish, too? What? Oh, yes. That's a piece of bone. And where did it come from? Well, Mrs. Crane is of the realist school. She, she used it in the painting of still life. You can show us that painting? I, I know she didn't like it when she finished. I'm afraid it's been destroyed. I see. This is going to be a little difficult, Mr. Crane. You uh, probably know the talk that's been going on around town. Well, I'm afraid we can't ignore it any longer. What kind of talk? People around here seem pretty convinced you murdered your wife. Why, why that's... That... And a report from a man I've had checking on you for the past week makes me think they're right. I'm going to have to place you both under arrest. Both? You and Louise Selander. And there it is, Edward, the final official accusation. The answer to the weeks of suspicion. The gossip and the weeks that follow move even more swiftly. From the indictment by the grand jury to the return of a true bill. The clamor for a quick trial... And the one startling announcement you make, the statement that stuns your colleagues, brings one of them hurrying to your side. Five minutes. Thanks. Well, hello, Waverly. Edward, what's it all about, this ridiculous decision to handle your own case? Can you think of a better criminal lawyer? But it's suicide. Look, we'd like to help you. I'll I... save you some time, Waverly. My mind's made up. I'm handling the defense myself. As a matter of fact, they're letting me talk to my co-defendant, Miss Sullender, in just a few minutes. So, if you'll excuse me. All right, Edward. Have it your way. Edward. I mean... Louise. Edward, it's also... also horrible. They're saying I was the reason you... What does that matter? I didn't kill Ruth. You believe that, don't you? Of course. Well, Louise, you're not certain, are you? Darling, all I know is that I love you terribly. It's going to be all right. Remember that. No matter what happens, it's going to be all right. <laughs> Thank you.
please the court, Mr. Foreman and gentlemen of the jury, the state will prove that on or about the 15th day of December of last year, the defendants, Edward Crane and Louise Selander, with malice aforethought, did effect a brutal death of his wife, Ruth. Our witnesses will establish the That's right, I was checking the plumbing. Now, Mr. Crane acted mighty peculiar the whole time I was there. Now, that's what started... She was supposed to come for a fitting. I never knew her to break an appointment. It wasn't like her at all. Uh, yes, Mrs. Crane often gave her lectures for us at the art center. She had one scheduled for early in January. And then I heard someone say... Objection! That's hearsay, Your Honor. Objection sustained. Proceed, Mr. Prosecutor. And my last words to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. The state has not proved anything. It's all conjecture, hearsay, lie. Order! Order! Another outburst and I'll clear the court. Now, Mr. Crane, will you conclude as quickly as possible? So you conclude, Edward, without pulling the rabbit out of the hat, carefully evading the one vulnerable point in the prosecution's case, the assumption that the bone fragments found in the furnace were all that remained of your wife, Ruth. Yes, Edward, their whole case rests on that assumption, and that's the way you want it. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict... Yes, Your Honor. We find the defendants, Edward Crane and Louise Selander, guilty on all counts. Oh, no! Bailiff! Bailiff, please. Will you ask the judge if I can have a few minutes with Miss Selander in private? All right, Crane. I'll make the request. Edward, oh, Edward, darling. You tried so hard to convince me. Easy, darling. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. Not here. I've asked for a few minutes together. I'll tell you in the judge's chambers. But they can't go through with it, Louise. You'll see. They can't go through with it. You've reached it at last. The back door. The loophole in the law that will let you and Louise be together. It's over now. All the planning, the long weeks of the trial, and the guilty verdict against you and Louise. You're trembling excitedly as the bailiff comes back to tell you that it's all right. That you can have five minutes together alone. You can tell her now, can't you, Edward? End her fright and grief with a simple explanation of your carefully conceived plan. You turn, take her in your arms as the bailiff withdraws from the room and the door closes. Darling, Edward. It's all right, Louise. She isn't dead. She isn't dead at all. What do you say? Don't you see? They've convicted us, legally. But Ruth's alive. She's in Canada. I sent her there myself. But he... No, no, wait. Let me tell you the whole thing, Louise. It's to bring us together. She said she'd never give me a divorce, and she wouldn't have. But I got her to go away. I wanted them to convict us. I, I don't understand you, not at all. Look, Ruth's in the Canadian Rockies. 
She went there after spending three months at a lodge in Manitoba run by a man named Rene. I'm going to have Rene brought here. But, Edward, Don't I... you see? He'll swear she was alive after the time we were supposed to have killed her. With testimony like that, they'll be forced to set us free. And then I'll find Ruth and really get rid of her. That's what I've been working for all the time, dear. After once releasing us, they'd never try to connect us with their disappearance again. Edward! Edward, why didn't you tell me? I couldn't, my dear. It had to be this way. But it won't work. Oh, Why, of course it can. When my witness gets here, we'll have proof. You... You won't have a witness, Edward. You can't. Ruth came to see me the night she was leaving. I killed her, Edward. I killed her. So we could be together. Get the most driving pleasure. Drive at sensible speed. Be courteous and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Willard Waterman and Virginia Gregg. Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with story by James Erfine, music by Wilbur Hatch. We have just heard a 1947 episode of The Whistler. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. That was a drama about a back door. Now stay tuned for a drama about a window. Here's a 1946 episode of Suspense, entitled The Thing in the Window. Suspense. Tonight, Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Thing in the Window, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Suspense. Tonight, in our suspense theater, we bring you the premiere of the newest suspense play written by Lucille Fletcher, the author of such distinguished radio dramas as Sorry, Wrong Number, and others. Mr. Joseph Cotton as Martin Ames in The Thing in the Window, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Mary? Yes, Mr. Ames? Turn that vacuum cleaner off for a minute, will you? And come over here, I want to show you something. Right here, out this window. Now look across the street. No, directly across uh-huh. the opposite apartment. See that window? About three windows in from the left uh, with a kind of blue draperies? Uh-huh. There's someone sitting there in a chair. He hasn't moved all night. I think he must be dead. Dead? Lord have mercy, Mr. Ames. Take a good look at him and tell me what you think, Mary. Okay. But I don't favor looking at a corpse, Mr. Ames. It's unlucky. Now, which window did you say? Third one over. Oh, I wish I had me glasses with me. Oh, there, right there, where my finger's pointing. Uh, I'm afraid I don't see it yet, Mr. Ames. Oh, look, the the window with the blue draperies, he's wearing a sort of a gray suit. The arm, can't you see the arm hanging down over the side of the chair? No, sir. Uh, But you've got good eyes, Mr. Ames. If you see it, I'm not arguing with you. Uh, What are you going to do about it? I don't know. I 
began to notice it last night, I guess I first have to be sure the man is really dead. That's right, Mr. Ames. You don't want to get yourself into any trouble. Uh, maybe he's only sleeping, or maybe he's incapacitated. Maybe the poor soul's a stricken invalid, huh? Maybe. I'm Martin Ames. Are you the superintendent of this apartment house? That's what it says on the door. I've come to inquire about one of your tenants. Uh, what is it you want to know? I live across the street and, uh, well, I'll be frank with you, sir. I've been looking out of my window across to this building now for two and a half days and there seems to be someone dead in one of the windows. Eh? Uh, which window? It's the tenth floor. I've counted up from the street and it's ten stories up. There's a window with blue draperies about three windows in from the left facing toward me, that is, and there's a man sitting there, slumped down in a chair. Ah, just a minute. I'll get out my chart. Tenth floor up from the street, huh? Well, that's really the ninth floor. The lobby counts one. We got two apartments there along the front of the house. It's in the front, yeah? That's right. Ah, now, three windows in from the left, uh, that'd be 9B, a four-room. Oh, that couldn't be right. 9B is two ladies. You say this is a man? Yes, the face isn't clearly visible, the... Head slumped forward, but he's wearing a gray suit and he's sitting in a high wing-back chair. Uh, I don't place him. Well, maybe he doesn't belong in the house. Maybe he was visiting somebody. As I say, this is all conjecture, of course. He may not be dead, but I've watched him a good deal. Uh, I'm home a lot in the daytime. My profession, uh, the stage, doesn't take up too much of my time, and well, it looks mighty suspicious. Okay, I'll check on it. Don't mind if I stick around? Oh, no, no, sit down. I'll give 9B a ring first on the house phone. Miss Landis? Yes, this is Miss Landis. Who is this? Oh, this is Mr. Anson, the super. Uh, everything all right up there, Miss Landis? Everything all right? Why, yes. Yes, of course. Okay, Miss Landis. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, that's that. No soap on 9B. 9A is in the country. Well, anyway, if I got the window straight, like you said, it ought to be 9B. The two single ladies? Yeah, only it couldn't be them. They're real old maids. They've been living in the house for years. Real old-fashioned type, you know. Say, if they knew you thought there was a man in that apartment, oh, the two of them would just about jump out of their skins. Oh. Well, I, I don't know what to say. You're sure it must be that apartment? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a place, all right. But you probably just made a little mistake. You know how your eyes can play tricks on you? After all, it is a pretty wide street. I don't think I made any mistake. Anson speaking. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Anson. Uh, this is Mr. Ames. Again? Uh, it's not there. But Mr. Anson... I checked up on the two apartments this morning. 9A is back from the country. Everybody's okay. And 9B is out walking the dog. No dead bodies in the whole place. But I can see it. It's still there. Okay, just where? Will you just tell me where? In the same window. The one you said was 9B. Have you gone inside 9B? No, no, but I asked them if anybody was sick or dead, and they said no. You asked them? Well, why don't you search that apartment? What do you mean, break in while they're out? No, search it while they're there. Ring the bell, walk in, and do it. Yeah, not without a search warrant from the police. These apartments, you know, don't belong to me. I just take care of the building for the company. Then let's call the police. Oh, not me, mister. I didn't see no dead body up then there. Then I will. After all, somebody's got to do something. <laughs> Thank you. 
I still maintain, officer, these two sisters are as refined ladies as you could find anywhere. High class, nice, church-going ladies. They used to teach school up here at PS33. Yeah, well, that don't mean a thing. As it happens, there's a play on Broadway right now in which two nice old ladies commit murder after murder. They got a dog in there. Now, will you tell me one dog that would stay for almost a week in a flat with a dead person? I'm not telling you anything. All I know, this gentleman, Mr. Ames, here reported a stiff over here. And if he says there is one, there is. Until it's proved different. Right, Mr. Ames? Well, I keep seeing the thing day in and day out. I'm not working at the moment and being home so much. None of the other neighbors have complained. Dead bodies ain't exactly... Oh. It's uh, right this way, please. I hope they're home. If they ain't home, you got a passkey, haven't you? Oh, yeah. We're not supposed to use it, though, unless for an emergency. This is an emergency. Ah, the dog bite sometimes. Yes? Who is it? I'm awfully sorry, Miss Landis, but there's been some kind of mix-up. Uh, these two gentlemen want to look over your apartment. But why? It's not for rent. Oh, I know. It's just, uh, well, they, they want to search around and check up. Come on, and, uh... come on. Cut out the palaver. Hey, look, lady. A dead body's been reported sitting in one of your windows. What? Yeah, yeah. This guy lives across the street, and he's been seeing it over here for a week. Oh, oh so come on. Now, open up. A dead body? Oh, but that's impossible. My sister and I live here all alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all about it. Excuse me a minute. I'll call my sister. Uh... Lady, I'm not standing out here all day. Come on, give me the passkey, Anson. It won't do no good. They got a chain on the door from the inside. Open up in the name of the law. How do you do? I am Vivian Landis. May I ask what this is all about, Certainly, please? Certainly, lady. I got a search warrant here made out by this gentleman to search your place. He says you got a dead body in there. A dead body? Why, that's perfectly ridiculous. Yeah, isn't it? But it's been reported. And kindly take that door off the chain and let us through. Of course. First, may I ask, how did this peeping Tom see into our apartment? I thought, Mr. Anson, that we were quite private. Well, you Look, see... he lives across the street on the same level. I just happened to be... Oh, well, then we shall have to keep our shades down in the future. Although one would think a grown man would have something better to do. Do come right in, gentlemen. Make yourselves right at home. Thanks. Is he coming in here, too, Mr. Busybody? No, he doesn't have to, if you don't want him. Well, I most definitely don't. Okay, Mr. Ames, you better stay outside. Uh, officer, I will... Oh, he does want to poke around in our private rooms, is that it? Maybe he had some ulterior motive in worming his way in. Maybe uh, he's come to, to get the lay of the land and uh, so he can break in someday to, to rob us. Okay, okay, he's not coming in. Now, let's take a look at your window. Oh. Yes, officer. Now, what's the big idea? You didn't find it? No. That's very strange. Yeah? The only thing strange about it is your eyesight. You want to get your glasses changed. There wasn't anything in 9B? No. I don't understand it. How could I have seen it so distinctly and it's not there? But perhaps it isn't in the window now. Perhaps they hid it while we were waiting outside the door. Hid it? Hmm. Now, where do you hide a dead body in a four-room flat? Uh, I looked in all the clothes closets, under the sofas, in the chest. Perhaps they got it out at the back, into the service elevator. Single-handed? With all the garbage cans and, and laundry going up oh, and down? Perhaps they had accomplices, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> you probably think... Uh... Oh, it's so terrible to, to, to keep seeing it and seeing it and feeling it slowly decaying there in secret. Why, the thing could be there for weeks. It's so high above the streets. Perhaps... 
Perhaps it'll never be found, but perhaps it's already being destroyed. Well, Dan, if it's gone, what do you got to worry about? You don't have to sit and look at it no more. No, I... I, I hope it is. I, I tell you, it's really getting me down. I haven't slept for nights keeping vigil. I'm... I'm in a nervous state. I, I, I haven't been, been this nervous in years. Yeah, I can see that. Well, look, why don't you try forgetting it for a while, huh? Try not to look over into that window. Or uh, go away for a change. You've, You've done what you could, Mr. Ames. If there is a stiff over there, well, that's my business, ain't it? And if there isn't... You mean, you think I'm... I may be... I'm not saying nothing, Mr. Ames. But if I was you, I'd try catching up on my night's sleep. Miss Landis, I, I'm sorry to disturb you at this time of night, but I really, I'm desperate. I, I haven't anywhere else to turn. What? Who is this? This is Mr. Ames, Martin Ames, your neighbor, the one across the street. I was in your apartment yesterday morning with the police, or rather, I was almost in your apartment. Your sister wouldn't let me in. Oh. Now, please don't think me a pest, Miss Landis. I, I don't mean to annoy you. It was only because I was, I was so desperate that, that I initiated that search. It's quite all right. Goodbye. No, 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 please don't hang up, because... It's worse now than it ever was. Miss Landis, I, I've been sitting here opposite your apartment, staring into your windows, and I, I... I'm only asking you to help me, Miss Landis. Help me just a little. Help you? It's still there, Miss Landis. What is still there? The dead body in your window. Oh, but there isn't. How dare you? When the police... I know, I know. I know now it hasn't anything to do with you. But would you do me just one favor, Miss Landis? Would you go into your living room and just check once more? Oh, I won't. I'll do nothing of the kind. You're out of your mind. Oh, perhaps no. I am, Miss Landis. That's what I'm trying to find out. Then perhaps your sister Vivian would help me. She's not at home. Oh, Lord. And anyway, I don't see how you can see in. I pulled the shades down in there yesterday morning. I know. They're all down still. Then how can you see? I can't. At least not the actual body. It's just the silhouette. I'm not maligning you or your sister, Miss Landis. If there's someone dead in there, it's it's not you who are doing it. But think of me. Oh. If you could just be here and look over there and see the shadow of those quiet fingers, that shoulder, that head. Oh, please! Stop it! Stop it! It's not here! It is it... Tell me just one thing, Miss Landis. Uh. There is a chair by that window, though, isn't there? Yes. There's a chair. Uh, a high-backed wing chair. Mm-hmm. And have you anything on it? Anything piled up? I mean, like curtains or cushions or dressmaker's dummy? Or, oh, of course or, not. Or do you have a plant in the window in front of it? Some kind of a odd table? Anything? Anything that would cast a shadow like a, a man's head slumped forward or an arm hanging limp? No. Then would you do me just one more favor, Miss Landis? Please, please, and as, as an experiment, would you just go into the living room and move that chair from the window, please? I... Uh, if I do it, will you stop pestering us? Yes. Will you let us alone forever? Yes, yes, if it works. If it works? What do you mean? What I, do you mean? I can't tell, Miss Landis, until you move the chair.
Yeah, yes. I moved it away from the window. It's at the other end of the room, and there's nothing in it. It's empty. Oh, I see. Well, thanks very much, Miss Landis. I, I know what I have to do now. You mean? Yes, Miss Landis. It's still there. <laughs> Landis. Where is it? I want to see it at once. Oh, yes, Miss Landis. Come in. I, I hope you'll excuse my appearance. I've just passed another sleepless night. So has my sister, and so have I. What do you mean by all this business, Mr. Ames? You have frightened my poor sister nearly to death. Oh, I... Seeing things that aren't there when you you know that they're not. I know they're not. Oh, oh I wish there were I wish to heaven I'd never looked out that window. I wish those walls were solid stone and your walls... Oh. You are a sick man, Mr. Ames. Oh, am I? I wish I were, but I'm I'm perfectly sane and well. I went to a psychiatrist yesterday and guess what he told me? That there's nothing wrong with me, nothing. I can't believe that. But you, I suppose it's a form of madness to persist and persist in seeing this hideous image. But not me, Miss Landis. No. I finally come to an entirely different conclusion. And what is that? The supernatural. The supernatural? A ghost? What nonsense, Mr. Ames. Yes, I suppose it is nonsense to you. You've been a school teacher. Yes. You believe in logic and common sense, the things that give a pretense of solidity to this frail little life of ours. But I'm an artist. I've always had a feeling for the thing beyond, the intangible, the shadowy. We are children, Miss Landis. Children playing along the edge of the ocean. We laugh and toy with the waves and mock fright. But sometime, sometime one of us slips down into the darkness. Sometimes the depths rise and we glimpse the yawning fangs of the eternal. You, you put things rather oddly, Mr. Ames. Just exactly what do you mean? Simply this. I checked on that building with the real estate agents yesterday afternoon after I'd left my psychiatrist. And there was a murder. In our apartment? Well, the report didn't say. You know how they try to hush those things up. But it was a man, a young man, the lover of one of the tenants, a, a Miss Sweetser. Sweetser? Hmm. Why, that, that's the name of the people who lived there before us. Oh. But, uh, they were an elderly couple, Mr. and Mrs. Sweetser. I, I never saw any Miss Sweetser. She died. She was the daughter. She killed herself afterwards by jumping out one of the windows. Oh, perfectly awful. Rather a ghastly coincidence, isn't it? Was it out our window? Who knows? She must have been a very neurotic person, though, this Miss Sweetser. Half-crazed, almost with love or jealousy. I checked on the details in an old newspaper. She cut his throat, nearly decapitated him. It said that when they lifted his body out of the chair later, his head almost rolled. Excuse me. Mr. Ames, I, I'd rather not hear. I I still can't believe that if there is something, if there could possibly be something, why haven't we seen it, too? Why should you Haven't be... you seen it, Miss Landis? No! You sure? I... Never? Perhaps in the middle of the night, getting up and passing that room, seeing that chair outlined against the window, just, just in passing, perhaps... 
You've never had a glimpse? No, I... No. I... I really must be going. No, no, no. Please stay and look at it. I want you to see it out no. of my window. My, my sister Elaine, she's very nervous, Mr. A. I can't leave her so well, long alone. Then how I... will I know? How? Well, I... Miss Landis, I, I no. thought you came here especially. It, it'll only take a minute. Look, really... it's right in here in the bedroom. I just have to let up the Venetian blind. Oh, Miss Landis. Don't go. Miss Landis. Hello. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Ames, Martin Ames. I just called to let you know. I think you're right about that good night's sleep. Yes, I'm going away tomorrow for, for a long rest, shutting up my apartment. Yes, I'm all, I'm all tied up in knots. I, I, I don't know what to think. Oh, they did. Yes, I saw the moving van in front of the house, but I, I, I didn't know it was those sisters. Couldn't take it, huh? Well, I can't take it much longer myself. Whoa, Marty! Bravo, bravissimo, boy! Shh, 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 not so loud. Why all the mystery? The superintendent uh, doesn't like me. <laughs> I should think he wouldn't like you grabbing this beautiful apartment right from under his nose. He probably had it promised to a friend. <laughs> but you've got it now, Ronald, just as I said. Oh, so I have, old boy, so I have. And it's beautiful. You know, I'm crazy about it. Marty, you've outdone yourself. You've been more than generous. I'll take nothing of it, Ronald. I'm glad to do it for such a distinguished colleague. Well, it certainly was nice of you. And I wish I could do something in return, Marty. I really do. Oh, uh, perhaps that play I'm doing next season. You know, there's a part in it. It's rather small. A small part, but very necessary. Well, thanks, I... just the same. But I'm doing pretty well just now, Ronald. Oh. Well, I don't know how you found it, Marty. In his housing shortage. Oh, I... You know, why even the superintendent is nervous for rent? When your call came to my manager, I left rehearsal. I wouldn't trust it to anyone but myself. <laughs> I left the whole cast just standing there while I came over. Oh, yes. and, and when I asked this gloomy character, Anthony, he said he'd heard nothing about it. So I insisted, of course. I told him who I was. Finally, he called up. Sure enough, it seems these two sisters who lived here just decided to move on. <laughs> really? Well, say, I hope you didn't mention my name, though, if Anson known that I tipped you off. Oh, no, no, no. You asked me not to. Anyway, I... I think my own name is enough. Well, Seriously, Marty, how did you know? Were they friends of you? Oh, no, no, it's a rather long story. Here, let, let's sit down, oh. shall we, in the living room. Uh, oh, no, 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 you take the chair. I oh. guess they must have left that when they moved out. No, thank you. Well, to be frank, Ronald, I got this apartment by a ruse. A ruse, Marty? What kind of ruse? Oh, a pretty nasty one. I, I frightened the last tenants away. I... I I told him I saw a dead man sitting here in this window. <laughs> no, 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 not really. How clever of you. Of course there was. Oh, no. You, you see, I live across the street, directly across, in that apartment there with the striped curtains. Oh. One night, just sitting there late, I got an amusing thought. There was a kind of shadow across this chair, the one that you're sitting in. It reminded me a little bit of a corpse. And it came to me that it might be fun to create a great part, a character... A corpse that wasn't there. Uh, I don't follow you. Why? Some actors need a play, Ronald, to create a role. Others, the great ones, work out their own dramas. Mm -hmm. I proceeded to invent a part for myself. I was the eyewitness, the innocent bystander across the street who saw a corpse in here. And I kept seeing it and kept seeing it. And finally, by the power of suggestion, 
It became real enough to frighten them away. <laughs> Very clever. One that's rather drastic. And... I'd always hoped we'd be neighbors, Ronald. As a matter of fact, the whole idea for this thing came to me that day in October when you turned me down for that part outside of Sardis, remember? You said you would look into your place then. Did I? Oh, yes. It was then I thought how nice it would be to see you right across the street, sitting in this window. I simply had to bring it about. Well, I... Oh, no, 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 Ronald. Don't get up yet. I'm not through. <laughs> really, oh boy, I'm afraid the gang at the theater, you know, they, they don't even know that I'm here. They'll wait. People always wait for you, don't they, Ronald? I could call them for you, of course, but the phone's been disconnected. Well, I'm afraid that I'm... Uh, which way's the door, old boy? Now, really, Marty, it's been very kind What's of the you matter? And... Don't you like the apartment, Ronald? Aren't you going to take it after all my work? Oh, oh yes, yes. I like it very much. The door's locked. Yes, Ronald. I... I'm afraid you'll have to find your way out alone. There. That'll keep you... <laughs> Silence always became you better than all that ratting and glibness and charm, Ronald. <laughs> and now I've got the part for you. A part to end all parts. You play it entirely in a chair. There isn't much action, not a line to play. You just sit, Ronald. You sit in this chair by the window. It'll be the greatest performance of your career. You like to hog all the fattest roles for yourself, didn't you? Well, this is a part that's been talked about up and down the street for weeks. You'll play the part of a ghost. A corpse that never was. A hallucination in my brain. And who'll be your audience? I will. I, the insignificant outmoded ham who wouldn't, wasn't fit to appear in your precious plane. But good enough to put you here, Ronald. <laughs> Who's the better actor now, Ronald? <laughs> Goodbye, Ronald. See you across the street. Nineteen forty-six episode of Suspense. You're listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And it looks like we have time for one more window and one more door. Here is Under Your Window, Gary Stevens with Charlie Spivak and his orchestra from 1941, which we're going to follow with Knock at the Door, Frank Crummett from 1924. Thank you. 
wonderful song I've made. A rose trellis blooms under your window. My heart dares to climb, reaching for you. But I'm standing alone under your window. Oh, why can't I do what my heart can do? My heart will keep sighing and climbing to you. And under your window, I'll wish that you knew. Frank Kremet with his 1924 recording, Knock at the Door, which was preceded by 
under your 1941 window. Gary Stevens with Charlie Spivak and his orchestra. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4. Right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music. Uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport.